Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast where we are looking at the sixth and final episode of Moon Knight, titled Gods and Monsters. First things first, I would like to thank one of my former colleagues from Oxford Archaeology and a good friend of mine, Harrison Walderman, as he contributed massively to the review section of this episode, pointing out quite a few themes that I had initially missed. Not only has this led to the review here being more comprehensive, it has also led to me appreciating the episode a little more than I initially did. In terms of the format, it shall be the same as usual. We shall start with a look at the background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally I shall review the episode. I will also just say a spoiler warning is in full effect here, as given that this is the season final, it would be a little hard to talk about it without ruining a lot of the episode, and just in general the show as a whole. But before that, let us set the scene. Right. You may be in the field of reeds, but you know you cannot stay. Instead, you wander out into the desert to find your other self. On discovering your other personality, you manage to rise again, and return to your earthly body. Now you must return to your former master to help him in the battle between gods and monsters. section I'm just going to mention a few interesting facts about the episode. To start with, in terms of the series as a whole, it won an Emmy for Outstanding Sound Editing for a limited or anthology series, movie or special. This must have made the 15-person strong sound editing team incredibly happy as surprisingly, despite being nominated for eight different Emmys, this show only won one. 
To me, this is quite surprising, as there were some really good episodes here. When it comes to this specific episode, not only is it the shortest episode of Moon Knight, being only 42 minutes long, it is also the shortest of any of the live-action Disney Plus Marvel show finals. I will admit, although I do not want to go too far into my opinions here, I do feel that this was a mistake, and it did lead to the episode feeling a little bit rushed. A few extra minutes at the very least would have helped in this area. During this episode, we also see Layla become the first ever Egyptian superhero, as she becomes the avatar of Towerette. Apparently, the actress who played Layla, Mei Kalamaui, said it was daunting knowing she was going to become a superhero, since in her words, she cannot represent every Arab woman or every Egyptian woman. In fairness, I would argue that Mei was right to feel intimidated by this, as such a task is undeniably important. I will also say, however, I felt she was a good pick for this role, and she did her best to do it justice. Moving on, between May 2nd and May 5th, this episode was the third highest rated show on any streaming platform, having over 715 million hours watched. This also made it the season's height. Finally, once again, we see the return of the QR code in this episode. This one appears around about the 28 minute mark, when we see Arthur Harrow in the hospital. This time, when scanned, it takes the viewer to a digital copy of Moon Knight Annual 1. In this comic, we see Moon Knight take on Khan the Conqueror, after the villain attempts to kill Khonsu. As Khan the Conqueror also appeared in Loki, some have speculated that this was supposed to hint at where the series was going after this point. Although I have stated a few times that I felt the QR codes were an underutilised asset here, I am glad to see it appear one more time in this season final. The show starts with the camera focusing on the scarab that originally led Mark, Stephen and Layla to the Shabdi of Amit. Interestingly, on the scarab, there is an inscription of part of chapter 17 of the Book of the Dead, which reads thus. O Capri, in the midst of his sacred bark, primeval one whose body is eternity, may you rescue Osiris Amenhotep, true of voice. To truly understand the Book of the Dead, we need to look at how it came about. Although the Book of the Dead first appears in a time known as the Second Intermediate Period, which came about just before the New Kingdom, so, for those who don't know, the New Kingdom is probably the best understood time in Pharaonic Egypt and included well-known rulers such as Hatshepsut, Akhenaten, Tutankhamun and Ramesses II. We have to go back about a thousand years before then to the Old Kingdom, specifically to the Fifth Dynasty. During the Fifth Dynasty, for the first time we see a set of texts known as the Pyramid Texts. These lined the walls of the pharaoh's burial chamber in his pyramid, and were essentially a guide to lead him to the afterlife. At this time, these texts were preserved for the pharaoh alone. However, during the course of the Old Kingdom, the pharaoh's power slowly grew less, and this seems to be linked with the rise of nomarchs, so governors who held power over different areas of Egypt on behalf of the pharaoh. Over time, we see these nomarchs 
become increasingly powerful, and as their power grows, the power of the pharaoh decreases, until the Old Kingdom comes to an end, and a time known as the First Intermediate Period begins. As such, the First Intermediate Period was a time where the pharaoh did not have complete control over Egypt, and instead these nomarchs ruled, often as self-appointed kings in different parts of the country. Basically, it is a time where Egypt was not unified. It is around this time that we see the pyramid texts mentioned earlier start to appear on coffins. Unoriginally, I suppose, these are commonly called the coffin texts. What this meant was that these texts were no longer reserved for the pharaoh alone and could technically belong to anyone. The coffin texts continued throughout the Middle Kingdom, and by the New Kingdom, these texts began to be written down by scribes on papyrus and placed in the coffins of the deceased instead. It is these scrolls that in modern times are called the Book of the Dead. So basically, the Book of the Dead was a collection of spells or chapters, many of which were about a thousand years old by the beginning of the New Kingdom. They were designed to lead the deceased into the afterlife, as they made their way to first be united with Osiris, and then to the Field of Reeds. In ancient Egyptian, the title of the Book of the Dead actually translates as the Book of Going Forth by Day, highlighting the ancient Egyptians' wish to continue living in the next life. It is probably worth noting that as time went on, these texts grew more complex and contradictory. This is partly because, although new texts were often included, older ones were never really taken out, even if the ideas presented in them went against each other. It is also because, where the pyramid texts were designed specifically for the pharaoh, the coffin texts had a wider audience, and so new ideas were introduced to appeal to this new audience. In terms of chapter 17 of the Book of the Dead, shown on this scarab in the episode, it was never present in the pyramid texts, and instead first appears in the coffin texts. Later in the episode, Arthur Harrow opens an entrance to the pyramid, which is hidden in the side. Now, of course, the way he opens this is fictitious, as he basically uses magic. However, I do wonder if this was inspired by the work of Strabo, as in Book 17 of Strabo's Geography, he claims that the entrance to the Great Pyramid was partway up the side, behind a movable stone, very similar to how it is shown in this episode. In reality, the actual entrance is on the north face of the pyramid, about 18 metres above ground level. It is worth noting that Strabo was a Greek historian and geographer, who was born in about 64 BC, so well over 2,500 years after the building of the Great Pyramid. Basically, Strabo's words here do not just need a pinch of salt, you need an entire bucketful of the stuff. A little later into the episode, we see Amit rise again, and she is presented as a terrible beast, part crocodile and part woman. This depiction has a lot of artistic license. It is fair to say that Amit had the head of a crocodile, so that at least is accurate. But she also had the front part of a lioness and the hindquarters of a hippo. As far as I could see, 
neither of these animals were present at all. Further, I am not sure why Amit is able to take out all of the other gods single-handedly. There is nothing at all in Egyptian religion that would suggest he would be able to do this. And further, as already mentioned in previous episodes, there are no myths whatsoever about Amit turning against the other gods. Finally, I noticed during this episode that Moon Knight has Khonshu written on his chest, right next to the half-moon symbol. However, it is spelled phonetically, with a K, and then a H, and then a Wa sign, and then an N, and then an S, H, and a W. This is not how ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs work. For a start, if you were to place an S and a H next to each other in hieroglyphs, you would not get a SH sound, and it would instead sound like this, SAHA. So, if we are being picky, the word here would actually be pronounced something like this, or something along those lines. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. I feel this has been done this way, as they were trying to spell out Konshu as it is pronounced in the series, instead of Konsu as it is actually pronounced in real life. But I do question the way they went about this. From what I understand, there are also some hieroglyphs on Moon Knight's legs. According to the Egyptology consultant, Rami Romani, these were supposed to spell out Moon Knight originally, but as there is no word for knight in ancient Egyptian, instead it is translated as thus, protecting soldier of the moon. I will just say, however, I did try and get a good look at these hieroglyphs, but it was incredibly hard to find a decent picture. Partly for this reason, I felt there was too much chance of me mistranslating so I have not tried to translate them myself. Overall, however, this is definitely one of the weaker episodes when it comes to historical accuracy. Its depiction of Amit is far from accurate. Once again, the way they enter the pyramid is incorrect. And finally, they present mythology which is completely made up for the series. To me, it is clear that as this series has gone on, it has grown less accurate and this comes to an apex here. I do not necessarily hold this against the writers. After all, I believe it is important to realise that their primary goal here is to make an interesting and entertaining story. Do they achieve this, however? Listen on to find out. In this final section, I shall review the episode talking about the parts I liked and disliked. I shall then rate the entire episode out of 10, and as this is the season final of Moon Knight, I shall also rate the entire series out of 10 as well. At the beginning of the episode, we see Mark Spector dead in the tomb from episode 4. Arthur then places the scarab amulet seen throughout the series on Mark's chest. Interestingly, there's a little bit of symbolism here, as in ancient Egypt, there was such a thing as a heart scarab, which after mummification, was placed within the bandages of the deceased, above their heart. This scarab was supposed to help the deceased during the weighing of the heart ceremony, as it basically told their heart not to speak out against them. Considering that last episode was all about the weighing of the heart ceremony, it is likely that this was a nice detail that not everyone would spot, but would make a few people smile. 
Further, when Arthur Harrow finally releases Amit, the goddess informs him that his scales are not balanced. Arthur is willing to die for this and reveals that he was hoping that by helping Amit, his scales would become balanced. Regardless, Amit spares him as he can help her. This, once again, is a nice detail, as it shows that although Arthur is a bad man, he is not necessarily a hypocrite. He was willing to undergo the same test that he was putting other people through. Meanwhile, it hints at Amit being a hypocrite, as she is picking and choosing who she spares. It helps differentiate them, and shows that Amit is the more evil of the two. It is fair to say that there is some clear cherry-picking from the character of Thanos here, as Thanos was also not a hypocrite, but he was undeniably a bad guy. After all, he did murder half the universe. There are some people who would criticise Marvel for this, but in all honesty, despite the similarities between Arthur and Thanos, they are still very obviously different characters with different personalities. So borrowing what worked from Marvel's Phase 3 just kind of makes sense and once again worked well in my opinion. Further, in general, although there were some unexplained things in regards to Arthur Harrow, there were some nice little details and callbacks to earlier episodes. For instance, near the end of the episode we go back to the asylum where Arthur Harrow is acting as the psychiatrist of Mark Spector. As he walks around the table, he leaves bloody footprints. At first when I saw this, I did not get what was happening, and I wrote it off as the writers making it deliberately ambiguous as they also did not know how to finish this particular storyline. However, one of the things that Harrison, who I thanked at the beginning of this episode, pointed out was that in the first scene of Moon Knight Episode 1, Arthur Harrow filled his shoes with glass and walked off. This is clearly a callback to that first scene, and so now I see this as a nice little callback to the first episode. One of the final scenes of this episode is also a nice reference to episode 1, as Stephen Lance wakes up chained to his bed as the song A Man Without Love plays in the background. This is almost identical to the first time we are introduced to Stephen Lance, and it was a really cool way of ending the series. It basically showed that his life had now returned to normal, or, well, at least normal for him. However, importantly, he has grown as a character, and now he and Mark Spector are on the same page. Further, one of the final scenes of this series shows his goldfish in the bowl. This once again links back to that first episode, which was called The Goldfish Problem. This was a really effective way of ending the series, and also reminded the viewer of earlier intrigues and the journey the series has taken them on. I also enjoyed the mid-credits scene here. We see Arthur Harrow, now in the asylum himself, as he now has Amit trapped inside of him. He is wheeled out of the asylum by an unknown man and placed in a limo. In here, Konsu is waiting for him, intent on finishing both him and Amit off. Konsu knocks on the window, and the driver of the limo is revealed. It is none other than Mark and Stephen's third personality, the man who has been hinted at throughout the series, Jake Lockley, who is immediately shown as ruthless. 
not only did this make me eager for another series, but I also like that it hints at Konsu being more villainous in future instalments. Further, considering how well Oscar Isaac did balancing two characters, it would be interesting to see him switch between three characters and to see if he can pull it off. If I'm being honest, I have full faith that he can. Further, it indicates that Mark is still very much suffering from a mental illness and thus gives further room for character development and interesting stories. There were, however, a few parts of this episode that I have mixed feelings about. For a start, the interactions between Layla, Konsu and Towerette were a little hit and miss. I liked that Layla refused to become Konsu's avatar when he asked because she had seen how he treated Mark. This made a lot of sense, but Konsu also made it clear that he needed an avatar if he was to stop Amit. It would have been interesting to have a little more conflict with Layla here, as it was basically a choice between her own freedom and saving a lot of lives. But instead, she just conveniently became the avatar of Towerette. I will admit, however, Layla becoming the avatar of Towerette was fun, though this element also felt a bit rushed. Towerette and Layla had never met before this episode, and their relationship needed more time to grow before this point. In general, being a bit rushed was very much a theme of this entire episode, and it felt as if it could have been split into two or maybe even three episodes so that everything could be properly explored. Ultimately, although Layla becoming the avatar of Towerette was a lot of fun and a good idea, the way the series got there left a lot to be desired. Also, I was not a huge fan of Layla's costume here. Not only did it look a bit like a Halloween costume, but I also struggled to see how it associated with Towerette. The wings seemed very random, and even her symbol, a scarab beetle, has more in common with Capri than it does with Towerette. For me, this felt very lazy, especially considering she was the first Egyptian superhero. That being said, at least Mae Kalamaui, the actress who plays Layla, did the best with the material she had, and I especially really enjoyed the part where she was switching between Towerette and Layla. This was a little humorous without going against the tone of the episode as a whole. Moving on, when it comes to Mark and Stephen's character arc, once again I have mixed feelings. When Mark decided to leave the Field of Reeds, so essentially leave his own paradise to save Stephen, the shift from the Field of Reeds back into the desert was visually very striking. But once again, there were some missed opportunities and themes here, especially considering how emotional the last episode was. In the last episode, we found out that Mark created Stephen as a coping mechanism, and so it may have been interesting to play off of Mark's motivations here. Was him leaving the field of reeds here brave and selfless, or was he simply running back to his old insecurities and giving in to his own mental illness? This is a theme that would have been interesting to explore, though I suppose you can argue that the ending, where we see the third personality of Mark and Stephen, does suggest the story is not done. Though regardless, it does also feel like this is a theme that needed exploring at this point. 
and it would have made for a more interesting season final. That being said, as usual, Oscar Isaac was exceptional here, and him switching seamlessly between Mark and Stephen, as they are now on the same page, was done exceptionally well. I also very much enjoyed the part where they were in the desert bartering with Konsu, as now Stephen and Mark were able to shift between each other, playing off of each other's strengths. A little earlier in the episode, Mark claimed that Stephen was his one true superpower, and this scene really highlighted that. So once again, I do not necessarily have an issue with the end goal here. Instead, I have an issue with the way the episode got there. There was enough story here for two or three episodes, and as such, it all felt a bit cluttered and very rushed. The final fight scene, for the most part, was also very generically Marvel, and it is a formula that has grown incredibly stale over the last few years, as the formula is always very similar. Bad guy and good guy fight in a large battle. Bad guy is winning. Bad guy looks like he's about to win. Good guys make a comeback, often because of a late arrival to the fight. In a way, it almost reminded me a bit of WandaVision, where the whole series was really good and unique, but the ending was the most generic fight scene imaginable. In fairness, the very end of this fight scene, so the one in Moon Knight, did at least throw a curveball, as once again we see Mark have a blackout. When he comes back around, Layla is shocked, both Mark and Steven are confused, and they've basically just won the fight. Personally, although the fight scene was quite generic, I thought the ending here was excellent, and this is largely because throughout the series, these blackouts have been a theme, and it has always been hinted that there is another personality within Mark. I also feel that probably largely because the episode was rushed, some of the design elements could have been a bit better as well. For instance, the appearance of Amit was incredibly underwhelming. Now, some people may just be thinking that this is because she's not exactly historically accurate, but this is not the issue here. After all, Towerette was also nowhere near accurate in this show, but overall, although I have some minor complaints here and there, her appearance has character and suits her personality. Whereas Amit is just a bit bland here. Also, it is not really explained why Amit is so much more powerful than the other gods, or why Arthur Harrow is able to single-handedly take out all of the gods' avatars. Now, these are not necessarily huge complaints on their own, but they do add up, and it is painfully apparent that it would have been far better just to have one or two more episodes, as I have said multiple times. If this was the case, this series would have been elevated greatly. In terms of the reviews for this episode, they were mostly good. On IMDb, it has a score of 7.8 out of 10. The reviews here are a little all over the place, but generally it was seen as a fun but rushed episode. It is also stated by quite a few people that this seems to be a theme with these Marvel series in general. Overall, I would agree with this. This season final did its job, but it was a little unsatisfying. For myself, I would give this episode 
a 5.5 out of 10. As with most of these reviews, I do agree that the main issue is that it felt very rushed, and this does lead to a lot of unanswered questions. As for the series as a whole, once again, on IMDb, it has a score of 7.3 out of 10. Generally, it is seen as a little underrated, and a lot more fun than people were expecting. As boring as my response will be here, I kind of agree. I would give this series as a whole a 7.5 out of 10. I feel, at its best, this series was Marvel at its best. However, it did occasionally have an issue sustaining this. There were some issues with character development, especially in the middle, even if the second half of the series made up for this in a big way. Despite my complaints, this is still one of the better Marvel series, and I would recommend it. Thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, why not consider liking the episode, leaving a comment, sharing on social media, subscribing, all of that stuff, and join me on Monday where we shall be... Oh no, it can't be. I shall be looking into... The Scorpion King 4 Quest for Power. Ugh. I believe The Scorpion King 3 was the only ever 1 out of 10 I have given. So I guess at least this film has a low bar to cover. So will I be pleasantly surprised next week? Or will I feel my sanity once again draining away? You'd better tune in to find out. I hope you all have a really good week. And see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.